Hello, welcome back to the Auto Week podcast, uh, number 82, still the new ones. Uh, we're here with Mike Pryson. Hello. Robin Warner. What's up, guys? And the great, the Whoa. man on the grid. Whoa. The man responsible for a lot of our F1 content, Mr. Joe Sayward. Joe, how are you doing? Hello. Hello. Well, jo- bonjour, rather. Yeah, Joe, you're, you're live from where again? I'm in France at home. Uh, Joe, just real re- recently, just so you know, uh, Wesley Wren's been going to Hype Man School, so that's why you, it got turned <laughs> up a little bit. The Hype Man Academy, thank you very much. <laughs> uh, but, Joe, you're here to talk about something that happened far away from you now, but you were there at the time, and it was close to all of us, the 2019 United States Grand Prix. Real quick, though, it's not the closest Grand Prix to us. Well, it's, uh, no, I mean, Montreal's uh, Montreal is, to, to, to Montreal's us, yes, is much closer. Us. Yeah, yeah, that is so. true. That's, that is closer. Thank you, <laughs> thank you for that. Well, actually, Rob. Well, actually, I don't know if you know this. All right. But uh, no, so the Grand Prix happened uh, the, in, at Coda a couple of days ago, about a week ago almost. Uh, we're, this is Friday. We're doing this basically live. Joe, tell us uh, what you saw. What did you see? What, what happened? Well, I think the, the key point of the of the weekend was uh, we were there to watch Lewis Hamilton win his sixth world championship, and it duly happened. He didn't have to do a lot to do it. He just had to get four points in total, and he'd beaten everybody, um, which is a very significant thing. You know, it takes him above Fangio um, and just one championship behind Michael Schumacher. Uh, and what he what he said afterwards was was very clear, which is, I'm going to keep going. I'm going after. He didn't say I'm going after the record because he never says I'm going after the record, but he's going to keep on going. Uh, and I'm, it, it's fairly clear that he's not going to stop until that record is done. Is he going to set the record with uh, Mercedes or with somebody else in 21 or 22? No, he's, uh, the, the way things are in Formula One, if you, if you change teams, you're going to have a sort of two-year building period. Um, so he's going to stay with Mercedes. And it might be tough to do it again and again and again, but Mercedes is still a very strong team. So um, I think going anywhere else would, would be a, a serious um, so we're setback not, for him. All right, so we're not going to buy any of the, the hype and the, the, the rumor mill that, hey, he might go to Ferrari in a couple of years. No, absolutely not. I can't see him going to Ferrari until he, you know, if he wants to cash in on the last kind of you know, career deal, he might do that, but I doubt it. I think he'll just stay with it. He's won every single Grand Prix. He's won with a Mercedes engine. Mm-hmm. So, Joe, um, you said, and uh, obviously everyone knew, that uh, Lewis Hamilton did not have to do much to secure this, his sixth championship. But that, in my opinion, was not how he raced. He was actually quite aggressive, and he ended up finishing second behind his teammate, Botas. And even, even that, he pushed hard. He was trying to win the race. Yeah, he's not the kind of guy who cruises. You know, he, he's always he's going to be in the last two races. He's going to be pushing as hard as he can. But there is a sort of subconscious level often with racing drivers when they've won something um, where they don't exactly lift off the gas. They don't think they're lifting off the gas. But, you know, uh, we've seen in previous years when uh, when Lewis has won the championship, Bottas has come in at the end of the season and won a lot of stuff. So um, it'll be interesting to see how that turns out. But the Mercedes is, you know, um, a very, very competitive car, but the Red Bull's competitive too. Um, and we saw uh, quite a good drive, which was a very good drive from um, uh, Alexander Albon coming back from the back of the grid up to fourth place. Oh, definitely. That, that's, so, not what, that's not what Vettel thought well, uh, about Albon. Uh, well, I, tell us about that, Joe. Well, hold on. Let, <laughs> or, just, Robin. <laughs> just real quick, though, uh, that was, I, I, I think you're absolutely right, but that was kind of surprising to me 
that Hamilton, in my mind, took a couple of uh, you know slightly undue risks that uh, in, for the sake of staying competitive in the race, as opposed to like purely thinking about the championship. He was pretty aggressive in blocking um, Botas about halfway through when Botas was trying to pass Hamilton back after his second pit stop and uh, or first pit stop and and uh, he was aggressive pretty aggressive about keeping Verstappen behind him as well and I was curious if you noticed the same thing yeah but uh, you know if you've got only you've only got to score four points for the rest of the season and and your nearest rival i.e. Botas has got to win all of the races and get fastest lap in each one it's not a huge risk because you've got another two weekends to do it in You know, and if you look at Lewis's finishing record, I mean, it's absolutely astonishing for the last four years. So, you know, really getting four points at some point in the next three races is, is it was a foregone conclusion. Of course, nobody ever says that, but, you know, that's what it was. Well, and if he crashed out with Botas, he still wins. If they both yeah, exactly. Yeah, and nothing to lose. Yeah, if Botas and he collide, uh, he still wins. So, you know, um, all things considered, he really had nothing to lose. So, yeah, what I was... Uh... I was certainly, as you were saying, Mike, I was impressed with Honda's performance with Verstappen and Albon. Uh, you know, there's some there's some comments to be had about Honda power versus the others. Coda is certainly not the slowest track on the grid with that uh, kilometer long, you know, six tenths of a mile straightaway. And uh, the Hondas held up just fine in the Red Bull car. And, you know, Albon, especially, he was uh, punted to the back at the beginning and ended up finishing fifth. So I thought he had a very impressive drive. Has anyone from McLaren talked about this? <laughs> the, uh, the How successful the Honda power unit is? Because this, this is definitely a turn for the Honda. I think there's two teams that have probably been having a little think about it. Um, McLaren, probably, um, but also Sauber, or Alfa Romeo, as we now call them, because they had a deal with Honda, which they decided to cancel. Um, and they decided to become a Ferrari customer instead. And I think that was a disastrous decision. I think you know, a deal with Honda with some money behind it, being the works Honda team, would have been a very clever thing to do. Uh, but you know, they decided to take a different path, and they got it wrong. Um, Red Bull um, certainly have helped because obviously their their chassis are very good. But you know, Honda has, has definitely come to the table, um, and uh, they're really right up there now. In fact, they all are, to be quite honest, even Renault, they're all very close. And now we're looking at situations with with the Renault factory team, for example. Um, They've been beaten this year on a fairly regular basis by McLaren, their customer. It doesn't look good, but they can't say it's the engine anymore. So they've looked at it and gone, "Okay, we need to fix the car. And so they've just hired the McLaren designer, uh, Pat Fry. So basically, we should see um, a better car. Um, with the same engine. So Renault should move up to the sort of McLaren level of uh, competitiveness next year. And then, of course, McLaren will go off to Mercedes after that. Aside from the obvious takeaways of Lewis Hamilton winning the championship, um, what did you think about the race in general? Uh, did you find it an interesting race to watch? Did you find it fascinating uh, how Ferrari performed, <coughs> specifically Vettel? Uh, I think that... Um, uh, the big question mark that came out of, of Austin was what the hell happened to Ferrari? Um, and clearly there were people, a lot of people in the paddock, to be fair, felt that it's all to do with a technical clarification that came out on Saturday morning, which was all about how you were allowed to use um, the fuel flow meter that is in 
the uh, engines to make sure they don't use too much fuel. Um, and an awful lot of people seem to think that this is where Ferrari had been gaining an advantage. And the FIA basically issued a clarification saying you can't do the following things. That's very complicated. But basically, it's to do with um, the way that fuel is injected into the um, or at least injected through the fuel flow meter, uh, which only gives off certain numbers of um, messages to the central computer. It's not all the time. It's um, it's intermittent. And if you can put fuel through it intermittently in between the messages going out, um, perhaps you can run more fuel through it. That's the theory. Ferrari denies it shockingly and says, what an outrage and we'll threaten to sue and all these other kind of things. Um, but, you know, Leclerc finished 50 seconds behind which is a huge amount. Now, he had problems with his car because obviously he'd had an engine change and Vettel um, had broken down anyway. Or well, no, he'd crashed, hadn't he? What, what, he uh, rear remember. suspension <laughs> failure giving him that three-wheel motion oh, known in the hip-hop failure. world. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, and I wondered, I, I I wondered if there was any <clears throat> amount of that was self-inflicted -inflict with the way that Vettel was going over the curbs and interacting with his, uh, with his competitors versus the others. But, you know, who knows? Well, there were two. There were two things. One is that in that first corner bingle that involved Albon, there was a, a, a suggestion. It was very hard to tell from the various angles that I saw it from. It was very hard to tell whether actually Sebastian had been involved. Uh, maybe a little tap on the on the right rear, um, which was possible, but we couldn't really see whether that was the case. He said he hadn't been hit. Um, in which case, if that was the case, then it's just driving too fast over the curbs and basically the rear suspension broke. Gave him a bit of a wild ride too. Um, and, uh, you know, that was the end of him. But whether or not he would have been able to hang with the others is the big question. And I think everyone's looking to Brazil to see what Ferrari performance is like, just to see, you know, is it really um, this fuel flow meter question? If they're not on the pace, people are bound to say, well, you know, what's going on? Well, Joe, with the season pretty much over now, I mean, we have a champion, we have a constructors champion. Uh, give me a reason to watch these last couple of races. Because in the midfield, um, there are ten million bucks uh, available, uh, depending on the finishing order of those three or four middle teams. Because if you go up a couple of places in the constructors, it's a huge amount of money. Now, that may not entice you to great excitement, but you know that is something that is. Um, Formula One doesn't use money as a, as a means of promotion, but I sometimes think they should do because some of those midfield fights, you know, you see fights for the last two races. Danny Kvyat in the uh, in the Toro Rosso has nerfed somebody else off at the last lap and been and been pushed back with penalties on both occasions. And that's really because they're desperate to get points to uh, to win the extra money. Yeah, it's funny you mentioned that, Joe, because I'm I'm paying close attention. It seems like McLaren is kind of getting pretty close to having fourth in the championship secured. But uh, if you look at Renault in fifth with 83 points, and then sixth and seventh and eighth, sixth and seventh you got Racing Point Mercedes with 65 points. Seventh you got Scuderia Tor Toro Rosso with 64. So they're just as you say, there's a lot of money involved in the mid pack, and exactly. How those yeah. guys are going to sort themselves out? Hey, wait, wait, is really Robin, where, where's Haas? Where's Haas? Where's the Americans? I want to wave my flag. A wave your flag down in ninth place oh. with the uh, with the hope potentially it's not completely out of the realm of possibility. They could go after uh, Alfa Romeo Racing in eighth. And how at many thirty five points? There's but, seven points between. But, them. Yeah, but, but how many points did we get 
in Coda. We got like zero again, didn't we? No, we got a lot of adoration points, <laughs> a lot of attaboy points, a lot of good stuff. If, right. if Williams wins out, they can Whoa. slingshot to like eight. <laughs> Sorry, I'm, that's true. I'm that's true. That last Just one. one Williams, uh, one think, two, think... and we're right there. And if we get two Williams, one <laughs> twos, right, man. Yeah, but in the meantime, down in the real world, I think Williams 1-2 <laughs> might be a little bit excessive. Um, I, I think it's very difficult to call because Renault could get a good weekend and overtake McLaren. You know, the, there's still a lot of stuff going on there. The, the gaps are not um, sufficiently huge to be impossible. It's um, 38 points and with I two races left, though, so it's it's not it's not the easiest thing to predict. No, it's not. It, but, but you know, the, at the same time, we've also got some action going on in the Drivers' Championship for the sort of minor places as well with Vettel and Verstappen. And, um, it's opened up a little bit, but, we, you know, we've still got um, – it's a fair old wag of points that comes in every time. So, well, you know. With, it, with that in mind, I would love to hear your opinion about Vettel versus Leclerc. Leclerc – with two races left, has 19 points clear of Vettel. Vettel is theoretically the number one driver. How is that going to play out? Well, it's been a troublesome thing all year. Um, you know, but it, it's kind of the inevitability of life in Formula One. Eventually, every great driver finds somebody who he can't beat. And Vettel's been struggling to beat Leclerc. Um, and obviously, he's done okay. But, you know, Leclerc, in terms of the qualifying, Leclerc's absolutely murdered him. Um, and you know, it's it, it's one of these times where Vettel's got to say to himself, well, I'm going to do this for another year. Am I going to do this for another two years? You know, this guy's beating me. Um, can I respond? Have I got it in me to beat him back? And so this is one of the one of the dynamics that's really interesting this year, which is, you know, who's going to come out on top? And, and Sebastian has made lots of mistakes as well, even more so last year. But this year he's made a few as well. So, um you know, he's absolutely pushing the limit. And Leclerc is looking like a very strong player. But, you know, Max Verstappen in a Red Bull, uh, he's going to be coming under pressure next year by Albon. Because Albon, remember, is going to all these circuits at the moment, never having been to any of them before. So he's, you know, he's turning in performances which are sort of making the Red Bull people go, whoa, you know, that's that's what we want to see. And Albon's so a great have story, a, too. It just good yeah, guy, it, it is good a story. Super story. Yeah, yeah. Um, but then we've got Esteban Ocon coming in a Renault. We've got you know we've got young guys coming up everywhere, so we don't really know who's going to end up where. Um, we've got also George Russell, who's waiting for Mercedes. Uh, Ocon was waiting for the Mercedes, but has basically given up now. Um, and uh, you know, basically, I think we've we've got a really exciting future ahead. Um, obviously it depends a little bit on who designs what cars, but you know, if you keep the rules the same for a long enough period of time, everyone tends to get closer together. It's the law of diminishing returns. So I think next year will be even more exciting than this year. And this year has been a really good year to watch. Okay. If you look at it on the list of winners, it kind of looks like a Mercedes whitewash, but it hasn't been that way. Each race has been really exciting in its own. There've been very few where it's just sort of, he's walked away and gone. Um, yeah, it seems they've been like very, very interesting battles. Some of the races have been Mercedes have won because Ferrari managed to screw up again. And I don't mean that to be rude to Ferrari, but they clearly had the pace, but then they made decisions. Terrible Either the calls. drivers made mistakes or or the team made yeah, strategy calls and that I were bizarre. Yeah, I have to say that that's true of probably half a dozen races where 
you know, they could have been, um, they, they should have been won by Ferrari and weren't. So, um, and I think that Red Bull has, you know, they've grabbed one now and then when they can get one. But as that as that Honda has come closer to the pace, and the chassis, Adrian Newey's chassis has got better, and with Max Verstappen obviously driving, um, you know, that's a hell of a package. And I think next year they'll be right in the fight for the world championship. Joe, we haven't had a chance to talk to you uh, since the 2021 rules package has been, you know, thrown out there. Uh, is that going to be enough to? tighten up this field a little bit more or is uh, 2021 uh, expectations for 2021 a little bit too much right now for people that think it's going to be, you know, a whole new, whole new world out there. Well, I, I think that the, the 21, 2021 package is what we've seen. It looks good. Obviously you've got to see if it works, but you know, this is a, a rules package that's actually had some serious technical development going into it before they just, you know, in, in the old days they used to say, well, this will probably work. We'll do this. Um, this time it's actually done with some science behind it. And everything seems to indicate that it will be closer racing. Now, will it be? I don't know. And the only way we can really find out is to see it happen. But I think we will see if everything comes as it's supposed to be. Um, I think it'll be really good. The only problem is that, you know, you've got probably 20 guys working at the FIA and, and Formula One who've come up with these ideas, and you've got thousands of engineers who are trying to find their ways around them and beat them in among the teams. So it's always a tough thing to do. But I think um, on on paper it looks really good. I was with Renault uh, during the race and talking to some of their people, and there's a big fear about 2020, though, because that'll be the last year before the budget cap kits kicks in. And uh, the thought is that a lot of these teams are going to be just raising the roof on the prices next year, You know, putting so much development into the 2020 program next year that they can, uh, that, the, that the Ferraris and the Mercedes of the world are going to hit the ground running in 2021 with a big advantage just because of all the assets they're going to be able to throw at it next year. Uh, what's your take? on that well i think the the budget cap is really um i think too much is made of it the budget cap doesn't affect anybody uh after position four i think in the championship because everyone else has got a budget under that number and i think that you know what what they're really doing is when you look at all the exclusions in the budget cap it's not really making a huge difference to the big, the really big teams, might be a little bit to Mercedes, a little bit to Ferrari. But but what it means is that we have a we have a cap that's set, and in the future that cap will almost naturally come down because when when one of these big teams is beaten by a little team, the bosses are going to say, well, hang on a minute, if they're spending this and you're spending this, why aren't we winning? And so I think that the the movement will gradually over time be to reduce the budget because everybody needs it to be more cost effective anyway um the only reason it hasn't been um lower is because obviously the big teams have fought to make it as high as possible but i think that will racing teams and car companies are slightly different um in as much as the people running the race teams don't run the car companies so they have to respond to uh, when the car companies say you're not getting any more money than this and that's renault's problem for the last few years has been their budget's been a lot lower than the big players. So everyone thinks they're a big player, but they haven't had the money that the big players have. So their catching up process has been slower. Um, but at, at the same time, they've had to be more efficient. So you know, maybe when things even out a bit more, um, we'll see Renault getting back to where they should be. 
Okay. What's the, let's get back to the immediate future. What's, what's the thing, what's the one thing you're most interested in finding out in Brazil? What are you looking for most closely? Um, in Brazil? Well, I, I want to have a look at the performance of the Ferraris in Brazil, just see how, uh, how close they are. You know, if they, if, if Austin really was a glitch, that's, that's going to be fascinating. Uh, Lewis has never been particularly good, oddly, um, in Interlagos in ah, terms good of point. wins. Good point. Um, and I think, I think, you know, we're looking to last year, Red Bull was on for a win in, uh, in Interlagos and then, uh, Max Verstappen, uh, lapped Esteban Ocon in a in a rather, um, let me think what's the best word I'm looking for. He could have been more cautious and consequently <laughs> the two of them collided. There's a problem between the, between Ocon and Verstappen. Uh, Joe, you bring up a very good point. We had a Verstappen crash crash watch going this year, and he's uh, somehow ducked most of the races crashing. Hopefully we see it in Brazil, baby, but continue. (laughs) (laughs) So, I mean, I think there's there's, uh, Mercedes versus Red Bull. I don't really see anyone else in in the hunt. Again, I just want to see where the Ferrari is, and I think that's key. Um, for explaining a lot of the season, really, you know, if once we once we can see a little bit more about um, the impact of um, the clarification, if there is any, you know, let's be fair to Ferrari. Um, there may not be; it may just be a, a complete coincidence that they went off a cliff when this thing came out. Although, to be fair, it was also clear that that clarification was aimed at them because a lot of people thought they were up to something. So we, we just got to see. Um, and, uh, you know, I think that'll be the interesting thing for the weekend. The other one will be Botas and, uh, and Lewis going at it again. Um, really neither of them has anything to lose now. Um, and Botas, um, you know, he wants to make sure that everybody considers him not to be, you know, we all consider him to be sort of very good number two, but he wants to be a one and a half, you know, <laughs> um, Nothing like and that. That's the greatest that, goal to have to be a one and a half. Well, no, I mean, listen, to be a, to be a good one and a half driver in Formula One is a very, very lucrative business because there aren't many of them out there. So, you know, to be a, a straight number one is obviously more lucrative. But it, you know, you can make a, a career out of being a one and a half um, and make tens of millions, as we've seen in the past with people like Eddie Irvine with Barrichello, in uh, going back even before then, Gerhard Berger. They were all one and a halves. Um, but they made great careers out of um, out of not quite being able to beat the fast guys. I don't know if they would self-describe that way, but that's a good point. No driver who's worth his salt ever describes himself as a one and a half. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> it's, like, it's like being the best backup quarterback in the history of the NFL. There's no, no one would ever say that to themselves. Yep, absolutely. Well, uh, that's a fun fact. I'm the best backup quarterback in NFL history that no one knows about, including the NFL teams. <laughs> anyway... Joe, it's always great talking with you. It's always great uh, hearing from you. It's always great getting your insights uh, into the F1 world. We, we couldn't do it without you. Well, we'll get you on to wrap up the season here in a couple of weeks uh, after the finale. Right. Joe, any, uh, any last thoughts about CODA? Um, I think CODA is a great, it's a great event. It's a great track. It's a good racetrack. Everybody likes going there. Um, and, you know, the, the fact that there are new races coming on in America, maybe. Um, incidentally, I've just heard today in the last few minutes that the mayor of uh, Miami-Dade County has vetoed All right. the uh, 
the uh, the, ob- the the people who were objecting. He had the right to veto those votes. He has vetoed it. So we're good again. And so it will now go on. Go mayor. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, it was basically he can his his veto could be overruled if there were nine votes against, but he hasn't got nine votes against that. him. Yeah, so we're good. No, the v- the veto has worked in both of the 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 two things, which were basically throwing hurdles in the way of the project. But you know that's a great project. It's a good track. It's not like you know, old fashioned F one fans say, "Oh God, racing in a car park." We did that in Vegas in nineteen eighty, whatever. That's actually not what it is at all. It's a very nice little track. Um, it's a good project, and I think that it will work very nicely. And it will it will do wonders for Miami Gardens, that whole region, the whole area. I mean, if you want to find out how much money a Grand Prix br- brings in, uh, go on to booking.com or something like that and try to get yourself a, uh, a hotel room in Holland next year for the Grand Prix. You will be horrified by the prices. So, you know, there is there is lots of potential for money to pour in. Um, and I think, you know, the more the more Grand Prix we have in the US, the better, to be honest, because, you know, that's where that's where the growth is going to come from, as well as China. That's the other one, of course. But there are maybe one or two people who are less excited about going to Chengdu or wherever we go to than going to Miami, <laughs> as you perhaps can understand. Well, and but I think still a, now that we're a, Liberty Media, there's going to be more effort behind that as well. Well, it is a we are we are now oddly enough um, Formula One is a is a listed company in, on the Nasdaq, so it's actually a U.S. company yeah, these maybe. days, which a lot of people have sort of missed that fact. It used to be a British company, but it got sort of rolled into an American company. And so we're now listed on the NASDAQ and it, it's working in a much more Americanized way. And I think, you know, in the longer term, um, things are moving towards a franchise system, which will bring in, you know, the big sports investors that Formula One hasn't had. So the people you see in the NFL, people you see uh, in even in uh, football in England, um, soccer, you see big American investors getting involved. Now, they have no real interest in the soccer. It's just about making money. And I think Formula One's been very bad at attracting those kind of people. And I think that with um, SEC uh, rules and U.S. ways of doing business, I think there's a lot of potential for growth in the sport. Yeah, we, we've always said that. Oh, and the other thing, and the, and the other thing I'd like to add there is that Roger Penske just took over the speedway, so we shouldn't we shouldn't uh, write off the possibility of Formula One going back there because I can see him going, yep, that's a good oh, idea. Oh, Joe, that's what, I call, yes. that's what I call the perfect segue because we'll be talking about that in just a few seconds. But, Joe, thank you so much. It's been a pleasure as always. Thanks, Joe. What a transition. That, thank you, Joe, so much for that transition and thank you for the time. We can't get enough of your insights into Formula One, uh, but... We also can't get enough Hamilton, at least from where I'm sitting. Let's uh, let's have Joe call in just for the segues. Oh yeah, he uh, he hits him home. I generally hit a what do you call them foul balls <laughs> right into the catcher's mitt. Somebody hit uh, a home run though this week in in racing. Who who? Mister Mister Penske and the Penske Corporation. What? Okay, I've slept through this week. What happened? Roger um, Penske, the guy that has won 18 Indianapolis 500s, the guy that's been an absolute critical artery of IndyCar for decades is now the actual and literal owner of IndyCar and its most famous racetrack, the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. So he purchased it from the Holman family 
It is now Roger Penske's under the banner of Penske Entertainment Corporation. So what you're saying is somebody who effectively owned the series now literally owns, owns the series. Yeah. Quite, quite right. And it is, it is good news because Penske is a very competent businessman and uh, a very passionate racing fan and IndyCar fan. It is questionable news if you're a different IndyCar team owner and you're like, wait, ho, 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 wait, 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 wait. <laughs> How is the IndyCar team that Penske owns going to maintain independence from Penske Entertainment Corp that owns the entire series? Well, it's a different name. No, I think that's going to be fine. I mean, you, you look at racing. We've had racing series is owned by sponsors and you know we've we've had you know don panos owned the grand am series and he owned teams i mean it, it can happen it's not a big uh, panos problem. panos owned lms right i'm sorry lms thank you for, for that clarification and we saw but, how well that series did <laughs> it did it fine but you know we, had, we have the, you know in, in imsa we have the weather tech series they have a weather tech team and that didn't seem to be a big conflict yeah, it's true, but I mean, Penske the man being so passionate about motorsports and his IndyCar team and Penske the man literally being at at in the hot pits calling strategy for one of his drivers. Well, Roger did address this in his press conference this week uh, to some extent. He said he is stepping down off the pit box this yep. year, which is a good that's a good visual anyway. That's not that's not to say he's not calling the shots Monday through Friday and he's um, stepping up to the timing tower where he calls literally all the shots. Now he's going to be the, yeah, now he's going to be we're hanging out with the stewards. So, uh, yeah. But but no, he's going to step down off the pit box with again, a good visual. Tim Sindrick is going to assume more of the day-to-day uh, -day, or not day-to-day -day, but the the, the race day uh you know focal and then uh he also roger also made it clear that before the press conference this week he did call every indycar owner and told and told them kind of like hey we're in this together you know this isn't going to be roger's uh it's his sandbox but it's not gonna be all of his rules and uh he, he definitely wants to make all the indycar owners know that they're part of this community and they all want to you know they want they want the same thing they want to grow the series they want to keep the indianapolis motor speedway still you know racing mecca and uh they i think it's all good for this for the sport i can't think of a better person or organization you know to take this thing over based on that it's slightly more akin to cart championship yes. auto racing teams and there is actually precedence for this as well because Roger Penske did not literally own um, the Detroit Grand Prix, but he effectively did in the way right. that he put everything together at uh, Belle Isle, which is just north of downtown Detroit, for the uh, duel in Detroit that's been going on for the last several years. And frankly, that's been a fantastic event with Roger Penske's efforts. Yeah, without Roger p pumping in as much uh, time and money into the, that event, it wouldn't be what it is today. And it is a, you're right, it is an absolutely fantastic home run event. But there is, there is that side. Now, the fact that he called each individual team, that's a very important step. But there is that the old trope, perception is reality. And that is something that they're going to have to, at least for a little while, overcome that perception of oh, okay one of the team owners is now now also the series owner what's that mean I, and when bernie ecclestone took over formula one in the 70s he completely well, digested divested himself from any team tony george though the previous i guess the owner of the speedway or the you know his family owned it i mean he owned the he owned, ceo yeah he owned an irl team for a while that's true and, Vision. and, and he, again he stepped back and i mean again he took off some of the titles or whatever from his from his resume from his I business mean, card exactly and 
sure were there whispers i guess whatever he didn't he wasn't a big winner i guess so that maybe that's a difference you know his his teams were never really that successful i think going into next year if we see a bunch of penske penske, penske cars just absolutely obliterating events and just running away with the series i think then people will get up in arms but if it seems like the good racing we have now then i don't think anybody will care i think the thing to look out for is uh chip ganassi and uh, Michael Andretti, Andretti yep. if they start getting them upset and they start saying things under their breath or not or not under their breath, that's when you have to get concerned. Those are the other two big teams that could you know, real players in the NE series. Well, fortunately, it's the most competitive series I think out there right now, and I don't see anybody running away for, you know with it. They haven't in recent years. It's been very. It's been and, very. And with the spec cars and the quality yeah. of drivers, I don't think there is really a way to run away with it. But we're going to find out. Well, I think I, I, I just need to take a step back and agree with you completely, Mike. I think that Penske really is the best possible person for this. My only real true concern is um, how long it's going to be run by one of the greats because, you know, we get into, you know, Penske's not a spring chicken. And, you know, so I'm 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 very curious about how. 10, 20 years down the road, how this transitions and continues. I think just like anything with the Penske Corporation and the Penske organization right now, he's got such a list of incredible people working for him right now and lieutenants at every level. Uh, I'm guessing somebody right now at, at Penske Inc. knows he's going to be the man running the Speedway and running an IndyCar here in the next you know three to five years. I think they've figured, they've worked some of this stuff out. I mean, Roger is now 82 years old. Um, so I don't think he specifically is talking a whole lot about long-term goals, uh, especially with, with what he wants to do with the Speedway and all that. But he's got people, I think, that are going to be running the show on a day-to-day basis. Yeah, it's fascinating uh, the way that this deal came together because there was not a for sale sign on the Speedway or a for sale sign on the IndyCar series per se. Um, the Holman family, uh, they said in the press conference, they went up to Roger uh, during the uh, finale week here in October uh, just and just kind of posed the question, hey, how would you like to be the steward of the Indianapolis Motor Speedway in the IndyCar series? So they came to him. Um, you know, was there a price tag on this thing? I'm sure there was. How much was it? I mean, I've heard anything from, hey, it was a $1 deal. Let's just uh, give it to Roger, let him assume control and continue this tradition. Or it was one of those multi-million slash billion dollar deals that we'll never get a handle on. Uh, both these corporations involved in the sale were private holding, you know, private family companies. We, you know, we don't have to find, we may never find out what this sale price was, but again, they couldn't have found a better steward. I have the official thing. sale price. Ah, uh, Wesley Wren. I, we expected that. $38. $38 hairs. Wow. That's pretty good. So uh, real quick, let's talk Turkey for a couple of seconds. Well, that's next week or two weeks down the road, isn't it? The 28th, well, let's let's think, talk, let's talk pre-Turkey. Ah, pre-Turkey, Turkey. Okay. Um, for uh, the ideas have already come out a nascar indycar doubleheader yep bringing formula one back to the indianapolis all been floated all been floated this week and other indycar ideas so what real quickly what are your pros cons and i'll give my opinions in a moment i think we're gonna well you just mentioned i think the two biggest things are what you just mentioned but i think the the nascar 
IndyCar doubleheader is coming. I don't know whether it's going to be at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. We talked to Eddie Gossage a few weeks ago on the podcast. He said he was, he's been promoting one of those or he would love to have one of those at Texas. Um, I think there's enough people raising their hands wanting to try something different, and that is ultimately going to be different. Now, Roger did a walkthrough of the Speedway this past week. I didn't hear how that came out, but he was walking around there with his lieutenants and some of the new people that are going to be out there pointing out things that they would like to do differently. He's already talked about a better family and experience for the Indianapolis Motor yep. Speedway. Yep. I don't know how how you can get much better than what it is now. You make everybody go to Charlie Brown's. It the, is the best restaurant in Speedway. Uh, maybe they're going <laughs> to blow out a couple of walls and expand St. Oh, Elmo's. Oh, the local boy comes through. Yeah, St. Elmo's. Maybe we can expand out uh, and oh get a few more seats in that place. I mean, Jeez. But, uh, you no, know, let's go to Harry and Izzy's. But they want to make you know Indianapolis an even greater destination, and I, it sounds like they have plans for stuff outside of racing. What those are, I'm not sure. But uh, well, I, it's I, exciting. They generally time. spoke about more concerts and yeah. events like that. Yeah, use it as a as a venue and not just a you know. Yeah. And a, I'm sure Speedway Indiana, the hometown, which is just outside of Indianapolis, would uh, welcome more promotion and more use of the track like that. And it'll be interesting to see because there are times when manufacturers um, or even private enterprises want to rent the track to see if that becomes more common, easier or more difficult. But I have to say the thing that most fascinates me, and you'll be shocked by this, Mike, I'm I'm saying ironically, is the idea of trying to bring Formula One back again. That was, there were things about it that were really impressive, but that was lukewarm, really, that event. It and was. I'm not, I'm and not sure how they really would be able to turn it into something big. No, and I think the the taste left in the Indianapolis area for that race is yeah, the was great so tire sour. debacle is still remembered. Yeah, the tire the tire debacle where we had half the teams not even bother to start the race. More than half. It uh, was you're right, it you're was right. more than two thirds. In fact, it was fourteen out of twenty. I will say, outside looking at <laughs> that, left a bad taste in F one in my mouth, and that's why I didn't like the sport for a long time. Yeah. So I, you know, whether that actually would make it back to Indianapolis, I think we're going to have to have a good run of you know Miami and Coda events uh, before Indianapolis would even be. Uh, I mean, considered we again. could even focus on bringing. MotoGP back to Indianapolis. That was a fantastic event that drew flies effectively, but was a great time and the last motorcycle race in the United States. If we bring that back, then maybe look at F1. But until then, until we get the that kind of figured out sure but i think the most realistic thing is is they've got to fix nascar nascar has really struggled at the speedway the last few years every year has been a little bit that's true you know, the I've got a came with a lot of fans oh my gosh in 94 was, but then it's kind of just waned ever since yeah the big in the 90s that thing was running as many people or close to the same crowds they were drawing for the 500 uh again it's gradually gotten uh, less and less and, and and it's to the point now where even a lot of the drivers are starting to bash it as it's not just it's not even one of their favorite spots to come anymore so yeah, that event needs some spice. And boy, can you imagine though? Uh, you know, Saturday uh, NASCAR and then Sunday uh, IndyCar event. I mean, that'd be awesome. I, and I, I can d- fix it. Uh, so the NDGP earlier in the month of May, bring NASCAR into that, make them run the GP circuit. And that's not a bit. I think that'd be a fantastic. Oh, event. That's a great idea. To make it a third road course. Yeah, because look at the Roval at, third road course event yeah. for NASCAR. Because you can't run it a double header with the 500 because that's Coca Cola 600. Right, and the Roval in Charlotte is a good precedent for this. They turned that into a road course, uh, you know, and it became one of the more popular stops right now. The drivers love it. The fans love it. It makes great for, frankly, really good TV as well. So let's do it. I think we've brokered that first deal. Let's, yeah, yeah. Uh, you you guys Penske, are welcome. You can sign the check to me. I'll give you the uh, stuff off air. Uh, I, I want ten percent, or sign the check to cash and hand it to me. So, so um, the I want to deal. I want to just really quickly summarize and say, as I think. I'm going to 
proclaim myself in this room the staunchest IndyCar fan of this of this small group and say that uh, IndyCar has been on a long upswing. Momentum has been building. That's been a fantastic racing product, and they're doing more good things. And this is just another this is another bit of great news for that. And I I, I give more. I that makes me feel more confident about the series than I felt in a long time. Yeah, I'll I'm go with sign you. that. I'll go sign that. I think this is a great for just for racing in general, and and it's a good shot in the arm for everybody. So you know, do it. speaking of racing in general, uh, a little bird told me, a little Matt Weaver told me, there's some stuff going on in Phoenix. Big race, big race. Uh, you know, I think. Oh, is that a phone call? I I think he's calling me right now. All right, tell us what's going on in Phoenix, Matt. You're out there for the big weekend here. This is the big weekend before the big weekend, right? Yeah, you know, this is a this is the championship. This is this is NASCAR playoffs personified for I would say all three divisions, but actually all four divisions. So you have the Truck Series, the Xfinity Series, Cup Series. You also have the K and N Series, the, the fourth tier division. Um, they, they've got their championship race. Derek Krause will win that championship by virtue of just starting the race. Um, the big three races, each of those races will determine which four drivers from each division makes the championship four. Um, so really, this is this is the first half of, of, of championship racing. Uh, this will determine which of those guys will race next weekend at Homestead, Miami. So it's a big deal. It's a, a shorter track. It's one mile. Um, so it, there tends to be a lot of beating and banging, and you know it, it never fails. One of the three divisions will have a, a, ch- a race this weekend where who makes the championship race will probably be decided on a crash, a late restart, lots of drama. So uh, a lot to talk about, I have no doubt. Well, who's uh, now? Look at let's look at the Cup Series first, uh, Matt. Who's in, and who's uh, really in trouble? <laughs> Well, the big surprise of who's in trouble, I would say two of them, Hamlin, Denny Hamlin, and Chase Elliott. I, I think that if you were to you know, push me into picking a championship four, and I've said this on other podcasts, I've said it on um, the radio anytime I do a spot, I predicted way back in the summer that both Chase Elliott and, and Denny Hamlin would probably join Kyle Busch and Martin Truex. Well, I've gotten the Truex and Busch part right. Uh, they're, they're, they're in. They're good. Um, but no, Elliott and, and Hamlin, those are the ones that are, are tough. Also, Blaney and, and Larson are on the outside looking in. And really, if you look at the standings, you're probably looking at a must-win scenario for all four of those guys. They've had such bad luck uh, at Martinsville and Texas that it's going to take either misfortune early um, or, or it's going to take just going out there and then winning the race outright. And then, so who do you who do you like then ultimately making it uh it's Homestead. Have you changed your uh, to win the whole? Well, let's just get your final four. No. Give me your final four and your pick right now, I guess. Well, so you got you got Kyle Busch in. You've got uh, Martin Truex. Truex. Um, you've got um, Kevin Harvick who won at Texas. Uh, you know he's Mister Mister Phoenix, so you know it's. it's he could win this race, but it won't matter. Joey Logano, the defending champion. I think the four guys you got in That's right it. now, they're going to be your four. And actually, the, the remarkable part of that is is that you've got last year's big three and me. What was what Joey Logano called it, the big three and me. Wouldn't that be something if you've got the same four from last year in again this year, despite all the radical changes to the rule book uh, that they've implemented over the last year? Well, I'm rooting for Logano because uh, Roger Penske just doesn't win enough. I think he's had a bad uh, run here, and uh, 
I think he, he deserves another. Vic- he deserves one more victory this season. He right? need, he needs more news coverage. Is what oh he yeah, needs. no question. That that Penske organization. Rod Roger who who'd you say? Uh, uh, Finsky. Uh, related to our friend uh, engineering explain Mr. Finsky. Yeah yeah I've I've never heard of this Roger guy. You'll have to you'll have to inform me one day. And Matt, before we let you go, uh, can you give us a real quick rundown on the on the trucks and the Xfinity? Is there a clear cut favorite in in either of those two uh, for the rest of the way? Um, you know, for the Xfinity series, this has been Christopher Bell's championship, yep. really, to lose. But that was, that was the case last year, too, and he got to Homestead, and it didn't work out. Tyler Reddick has had a much better year this year with RCR than with Junior Motorsports, the defending champion. Um, you know, Cole Custer has had a really good year. That, that's their big three. Um, on, on the truck series side, it's a little more wide open. I, I think Ross Chastain looks like the favorite, um, but also Brett Moffitt. Yeah, he's, he's had probably a better year than last year when he won the championship, too. So those are the, the two main guys. They're pretty much already locked in. So it's just a matter of who's going to join them at Homestead. And I don't have your favorites. I think we lost you a little we lost bit it there, there for a little bit, Matt. Matt. But I know you're driving on the way to Phoenix for what's going to be a really fun weekend for you guys. So a little bit of a live beat we have going on right now. Yeah, no doubt. Yeah. It's, it's, it's cool. Hey, Matt, we're going to let you rock, and then we will talk to you uh, around Homestead there and find out what's going on. But it's, uh, like I say, fun weekend, and uh, stay safe, and we'll look forward to reading you on autoweek.com this weekend. And stay tuned for Matt's, yeah, absolutely. Matt's uh, own centric motorsport podcast. Which is on the, on the horizon for you racing fans. A lot more racing coming to the podcast network. Welcome back. Man, what a good motorsport section. We definitely recorded that first. Um, but now, we teased it last week, and maybe the week before. We're diving deep into the Auto Week fleet. We're here with Andy Stoy Hello. and Graham Kozak hey, to I'm talk back. about some cars. Some good old cars. All right. I have the clipboard, so I'm in charge here. So how are we gonna, we're going to run down everything that we've got and then get a little deep on some of them? Oh, you, it? Okay. you know it, buddy. Um, we have an Audi Q3 which I have not driven yet. But. Nor have I, but I'm taking it this weekend. So I'll, I'll, I'll report back. And Graham, you've, you've been in it? Yeah, I went on the U.S. launch, I think. Oh, yeah, I think this right. might actually be one of the cars that I drove. It's got orange Alcantara dash inserts. Um, they don't all have that? No, you no, have to pay extra. Seems, for, yeah. seems like a, a Q3 kind of thing. Well, I mean, I would pay extra for that. But uh, moving on. BMW, Alpina, B7, a car fit for a king and made for a Bavarian. Did you just come up with that? Yeah, I did. It's uh, it's quite a tank. It's real smooth. It's it's actually my favorite iteration of the seven of the seven series. Yeah, it's it seems like they've taken some of BMW's more intrusive electronic nannies and dialed them back a little bit. Uh, I drove it last night and I felt very angry at every other driver for some reason. I think that's just uh, that comes with the no, territory. You, you rise above. Yeah. I just didn't want them to uh, be near me. You shouldn't acknowledge. Yeah, yeah. They, yeah. Get them away from me. Yeah. Um, they've always because they they don't they have the extra power. They're uprated. I don't remember what the B seven is off the top of my head, but it's like they're not trying to be track toys like an M car. Oh but no! But they get the more power with the cushy tra- the cushy suspension. Yeah, it's, it's like that's what the seven series is supposed to be. It is, yeah. a, is a true autobahn bruiser. Yeah. The Nissan Pathfinder Rock Creek. And that's all we can say about that one. Next, um, Genesis G70, which I haven't driven yet. 
which I, I'm very I'm excited about to go in it this evening and I'm also excited and, and I can speak for Natalie enough when she came back today and just shook her head and handed me the keys and said it's just so good Graham have you had any chance to be in uh, the G- G70 no alright I, I love the G90 and the G80 yeah, so the, I can only imagine yeah, the, the the company's sedans are fantastic a Mercedes E450 wagon which I also haven't driven I've been in that for five straight days, and uh, pretty good. I, I, I'm reluctant to give the keys up. I've got, I, I've been in every generation for about the last eight years. This one still has the rear-facing jump seats <laughs> in the back for the kids, the way a wagon should yeah. for anybody who grew up in the the '80s. Um, and yeah, it's just it's overall uh, just a really nice package to live with. And that uh, MBUX is, uh, as far as I'm concerned, very polarizing. I do not like it. This but is the infotainment. The infotainment yeah. system, yeah. But uh, I mean, I guess it'll grow on me. I came to uh, appreciate it. I mean, I, it, I found it pretty easy to use by the time I was done with my time. And I think that's what we've got to realize. Most buyers of these things are going to be living with them. Yeah. They're not experiencing them for a day or two yeah. at a time. Do you have so. the, does it have the, does this one have the, um, hey, Mercedes digital assistant? Because that kept coming up for weird times. It wasn't in this vehicle, but it was in a previous one where for whatever reason, it would think that we said, hey, Mercedes, and then it would read off like the Wikipedia bio of some Gilda Radner SNL character. And we, it was driving me crazy trying to figure out what we were saying that was triggering it. So we just turned it off, but let's try an experiment. Yeah. yeah I, I cannot, I did not have okay, that experience. Weird. Maybe they worked whatever that bug yeah. out was. Yeah, the um, Gilda Radner bug uh, yeah. got squashed. Hey Mercedes, who was Gilda Radner? No, it was like, who was? No, no. I just, everybody oh. who's driving, listening oh. to uh, uh, this on an NBUX car. Got him. Got him. Boom roasted. But now we're getting to the, it's been a thin, kind of a thin fleet. It's about that time of the year when everybody's uh, yeah, a lot of changeover, uh, taking cars from us. Still in that awkward period pressure. where a lot of the summer cars have performance tires <laughs> on. And getting and it, it snowed this morning. Yeah, yes, so. it did. Um, this one of the stars. These two cars couldn't be further apart. Twenty twenty, Nissan Versa. Let's talk about it. Sedan only now. Sedan only right. now, yep. which I believe is thanks to the kicks. Uh, the kicks, the uh, fabulous little kicks, which is a lifted sense. hatchback. Yeah. So they didn't want to steal any, uh, you know, sales from that. I don't, I mean, they would. They, uh, the yeah, Versa I hatchback. Yeah, Because the, the kicks is front wheel drive only. Yeah. Right? yeah. And uh, the Versa, let's be honest, has not been good. No. Nissan's two smallest cars, the Versa and the Sentra, are have been garbage traditionally. Yeah, uh, and which is a shame because the Sentra used to be awesome. Yeah. The Sentra SER. Yeah. Oh, that's a, 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 that was a, a long, time a long time ago. ago. Yeah, back in the golden days mm-hmm. of the post-bubble Japanese car world. Yeah, they kept trying to upgrade me into Sentras at rental car lots. It's like <laughs> you're like, just no, give I'm me good. like anything. And, <laughs> yeah, Do you have a bicycle? Yeah, <laughs> bus uh, like pass a, or something. Anything. But, um, uh, someone who will just walk me places and help me navigate. No, yeah, the Sentra is still bad, but the Versa. Yeah. I was on the first drive of it, and I've been kind of a champion of it for the past know, two months or whatever. It's good. Yeah, and you've been you've taken a lot of flack for being the champion of it. Yeah, I know. I told you you were full of shit. When it's, you have every right to think that because uh, it shouldn't be good. No, but for I got the Monroni right here in my hand. Maybe Whoop, that's the Mercedes twenty one twenty one five something like that. And this is not the cheap one. No, this this, this is, is a loaded. It was a well equipped car. Yeah. yeah. And you can get it even cheaper. I mean, of course, that, again, cheaper. Get, getting rid of the CVT, just getting the stick, yeah. which is still available despite no one buying manual transmissions. 
But could you get it with this package with the the heated seats? And, uh, yeah, see, that's. I don't think cool. so. If you want the nice stuff, generally you got to get, the... get shoved into the CVT. But even with that, I will say, and I went into this expecting very little. Um, this is not an unpleasant car to spend time in. What if Nissan changed their tagline to "Expect very little, <laughs> not unpleasant"? Expect not unpleasantness. <laughs> it's yeah. a new car. Yeah, Nissan. But it, it really is a well-done small car, and that's not something I've come to expect from them for a while. So I, I was very pleasantly surprised with it. Yeah, I mean, they it, it feels like a lot of thought went into building the car. Obviously, it's not they, don't, they didn't fill it with a bunch of luxury materials because that's not realistic. But the thought that went into the the plastics the, and all the touch points seems like it's it's punching above its weight to use that cliche. And I full disclosure, I'm going to be in this car tonight, um, but I have not been in it yet. I did take a look at it. I was kind of impressed when it pulled in. It's like, wow, it really did. And I, I do trust your opinion that they did put some effort into making it better. I think what a lot of our listeners, our readers are like, well, why wouldn't you just buy uh, a used Civic used car for, for that price? And it like, I get that. I get why we would think that. Cause that's our first impulse is like, what's the coolest used car I can get for X dollars, but you man, can buy four uh, BMWs of the V10. Yes, and uh, maintenance costs for one of them for yeah. about a week. Uh, there's value in having like just a solid, cheap, new car. Like I, having dealt with a ton of old car problems and even used car problems, like if somebody wants a new car, well, and I'm glad there's something in this range that is available to them. And don't discount the advances in safety technology True. too. You know, for somebody with a, a, you know, one child or, you know, a single parent with a kid, this is an ideal solution. You've got, you know, the reliability, you've got good gas mileage and you've got the latest safety equipment. So. Yeah. I mean, it's, 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 it's so much car for the money. Is the pledge to make a Nismo version of every Nissan, Nissan still in play or has that been thrown out the window? <laughs> Cause I don't know. I've, 2020 Nissan versus Nismo. Nismo, Nismo R. Because, you know, the, the thing about still offering a manual is I am kind of confused as to why. Um, like all the fleet ones that they sell to rental car fleets are CVTs. It can't be that much cheaper. So I'm glad they make it. I'm sure it is a little bit more fun to drive, but like good for them. I don't know who's buying that. Well, if, like, and if you're going for fun to drive, you're not looking at it. Right. As true. I mean, again, yeah. as good as it is, it's not, it's not an enthusiast car. No, but I think it's just the, the age old, like here's the cheapest car we oh, make sure. of this. Yeah. The, the sneak in, get the buyer in, be like, Oh, well you, you don't really want that. Also, we don't have any of the manual ones, but the CVT one, we can knock 500 bucks off the price. Yeah. Well, I will add to that. While we're talking about the price, I was in a base, Jetta S. I love that thing. Week I love that thing. With a manual transmission, and not, it didn't have quite as many nice features as this Nissan, but it was $500 cheaper. Um, so. The review I'm writing about that is basically, this is the best car no one will buy. It's it's available for those who need an inexpensive new car. It was, I took that, I took that car to Chicago, or excuse me, Milwaukee area, and it was so much mm. fun. It was just effortless. But I mean, the Versa, would you buy it for yourself or your kids or recommend it to anyone? Hmm. See, you always ask the hard question. That's, that's always a tough one. Uh, man, if somebody really just wanted a new car for under $24,000, I wouldn't say, I wouldn't tell them it's a t terrible yeah, idea. I, I wouldn't try to talk them out of it like I would have before. How if about this? Sense. If if somebody I knew told me they bought one, I wouldn't make fun of yeah. them behind their back. How's that? No, I would tell them, hey, I liked yeah. it. You did yeah. a good job. Yeah, it's a solid buy. 
And then the the other the other star of the show, which I feel like I'm in the minority in this little group of enjoying, uh, maybe for the wrong reasons I enjoy it. The 2020 AMG GLC 63. Man, it's a lot of letters and numbers. A lot of letters and numbers. And if you're sitting down listening to this, check it out. You seventy nine thousand dollars, despite the price. You loved it. I, I really enjoyed it. I mean, it's everything wrong with cars these days. It's a fast SUV that drives harsh and is probably not good at anything, but it's hilarious. It does everything so well that it's supposed to do, which is just be loud and annoying. But does it like the, what? What is it supposed to do? And I'm curious to see what your like what your mission profile for this thing is. Uh, have an AMG badge, check. Okay. Be loud, check. Uh, look. Like a jerk. Check. That's all three in my book. That's a, it's, it's batting a thousand. All right. So we were driving it around. I had it for a long weekend and roads in Michigan. Some of them are improving. Some of them are still not improving. We were driving on one where they had like peeled off the top layer of asphalt. So it was just concrete. concrete. Yeah. And I was in comfort mode, just tooling along. And my wife looked at me and says, this thing rides terrible, and all of the sounds that it makes are like my 2007 Jeep Liberty the week before it died on the side of the road, and I hauled it to the scrapyard. When you turn the wheels, it binds. It, yeah, it, I did notice that. So it, it's the it's the sticky front rubber, right? Which, which, you, which you obviously want on an SUV, yeah. which you need on a on a grocery getter. Uh, I did it, take it to Costco. So. And it has a tiny little cargo area. <laughs> yeah, it's not great. And if you want to be even dumber, you can get it in a coupe form um, to like yeah. really just ice ice the cake. Well, uh, Mercedes doesn't make a AMG coupe or sedan or anything anymore. Right. So I, I don't know, man. I there's some cars where I I would never buy them, but I respect what they're trying to do. This one, like I'll acknowledge that if you drive it hard, it actually drives really well. Like the harder you drive it, if you really drive like an asshole, the car responds happily. And for like, for that price tag, you, you need to like beat it within an inch of its life. I mean, it deserves, it, it's, that's the only way you're going to get your enjoyment out of it. And the car responds really well to that. So that's impressive, but I still, I can't, I don't have any respect for this car. Unlike somewhere I'm like, it's again, not for me, but I respect it. It's a, it's a, it's an around town. Everybody talks about, Oh, I got a crossover because it's just so practical. It's like you've dialed all that down, <laughs> jacked up the price, turned it into a fuel guzzler. It, it rides it worse does, than it a does sedan. Gas, yeah. I, it, I don't know. I don't get it. Um, but again, uh, I was reading Jay Ramey's first driver view of it. He had no particular place to be. He was driving on a launch event in, uh, I guess, along the Hudson River Valley, you know, beautiful roads smooth roads um and had a great time so and, and i think you've hit on something there graham because I, I drove this in germany maybe a year and a half ago on an early pre-launch event and on you know beautiful open german mountains roads it was a ton of fun but i spent a couple of days in it here in michigan too and i just found myself annoyed with it it's it's i think the thing that i don't like about the the hopped up crossover thing and i guess you could probably make the same argument for sedans when they were the, the vehicle of choice for the masses, it like promises that it's practical performance, right? All the all the practicality of a crossover, but with this crazy, you know, an excellent four liter twin or bi turbo. The engine's great. Yeah, it is. Yeah, but it just if you don't use it for its intended purpose, driving autobahns or track days or whatever, it does just annoy the hell out of you. It's like it it makes this promise and and it can cash the check it writes if you're driving it like crazy, but. 
the whole like uh, it's comfortable when you want it to be, but it's a beast when you know you finally have an open stretch of road. It's it's not comfortable when you want it to be. Yeah, the other part say, might that, be true. It is not comfortable. No, uh, the suspensions were extremely was the stiff. weak link to me because yeah. you could you could just loaf along in the engine and the transmission was fine mm-hmm. with that, but the it, it was beating you up constantly, even in comfort. mode. Yeah, and the stiffer you want it to be, it'll go. It'll go yeah. much stiffer yeah. than than comfort mode, but comfort mode still, yeah, uh, stiff to to put it to put it bluntly. So I don't know. I mean, great. I am I glad it exists. I don't even know if I'd say that. <laughs> There's some cars where I would say that about. I understand that people will buy it. Um, it's just, I guess, I'm disappointed when there's. You can tell there's really good engineering in it. And I know I've said this about BMWs, and it's paining me to start saying it about AMG products. Somebody put a lot of effort into making it do <laughs> incredible things on all fronts. When you drive it fast, hard, but just the the fury that it lights in me trying to drive it around erases all that and it's like man you, you guys had something really cool here and then you put it in a eighty thousand dollar crossover form and i don't know but hey but there is a more expensive one you can get the okay. s oh good yeah that's, so, maybe that's it maybe i need a little more that power was, that's the problem yeah we need <laughs> to go a little letters. further yeah, yeah. yeah. Ne- need some more letters and numbers um but i mean so i drove the basically the competitor for this in a in a the coupe variant the x4m BMW, which I hated. I hated that car with such a fiery passion just because it felt it was expensive. It was just as stiff and annoying as this car, but without like the ridiculous exhaust note that comes with these AMGs. And it just felt like it felt a lot worse than this. But that one it's also a good car, though. It's also BMW fun to drive, drive. Yeah. fast, I'll grudgingly admit. So I don't know. I mean, this one tries to go stealth mode. It looks like, you know, a regular high roof line, rear roof line crossover thing but i don't know is it fair to say though that anybody who's buying these types of vehicles is looking for a fashion statement that's that's it's either fair they either are looking for a fashion statement own a mercedes store or uh have an amg gtr that they just uh don't want to drive in the winter but still want that by turbo engine <laughs> but in that case wouldn't you be better off getting a g-wagon no an x4 or x6 which looks you know that makes a statement. If you're trying to make it, a statement, did you just tell somebody to buy an X4 or X6? <laughs> if you're right? buying something yeah. this ridiculous to make a statement, I'm not going to say what kind of statement you're trying to make or how I feel about that statement. Those bizarro coupe, muscle coupe things make a statement. Uh, <laughs> more, more than this, which unless you know to look at the number of exhaust tips and you know right. the the size of the wheels. Without the AMG badges, which I'm curious about how many people outside of the enthusiast world know what that even means. Um, yeah, what's an AMG? Yeah, AMG, they're just very expensive Mercedes. Um, I don't know. We'll see. I, somebody must buy it. I, does this one have the light up star in the front? I, I don't think it does. Okay, maybe maybe it needed that and the S, S kit. So. Yeah. Uh, so you guys aren't going to go out and buy one? No, no. Well, let's be fair. I couldn't if I wanted to. Yeah, that's, there's, there's that too. Uh, I bought six last month. Yeah, financed them all. So uh, you'll be seeing my house get repossessed. Yeah. I don't even have a house. Yeah. Can't can't drive your uh, can't drive your house. You can no. live in your 2020 Mercedes AMG GLC 63. I think I got it all right. There you go. We have a Mercedes rep in the room who's nodding yeah. uh, politely. But yeah, that's uh, that's the fleet. You'll be hearing more of this as a revolving feature going forward. Probably more cars as I gather more Monronis um, and also 
as we get more cars in the fleet, especially in the, around the peak winter time of like December is when the cars get restacked after model your changeover. But uh, thank you so much for listening. Thank you for downloading this. <laughs>